0: Here's who owes you an apology on my screen. He is directly above you because no? he's the one. That, no, you, you jackass. You're the one oh, that Bill. told Frankie.
1: <laughs> I thought I said Tony Erba. Welcome back to the Other Ship Podcast. I'm your host this evening, Drew Thez, and I'll be joined tonight by my brothers from other mothers down in Port Charlotte, Florida, your friend and mine, the action figure guru, the main man with the plan, Ben James. What's happening, brother? Great to be back. Good to see you guys. It's good to have you here, man, for sure. And we are also joined tonight by the Motor City man himself, Brandon New. Congratulations on both your guys' deep runs in the playoffs for your teams this year. Good runs for your teams. Congratulations on that, man. Appreciate it. good when your teams do well, show well. I'm it's hoping
2: a- for something in the next few years. <laughs> in a weird time in Tampa Bay sports, man. Ever since, like, 2020, the Bucs, the Lightning, and the Rays are making the playoffs every year. And that just, that ain't Tampa sports. Yeah, the hemisphere line. I <laughs>
3: The Rays keep coming close, but, you know, something happens and they blow up the team, so.
2: Yeah, or, you know, their biggest star decides he wants to carry on a relationship with a 15-year-old. Whatever. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Wonder like, Franco. Interestingly
1: enough, that's part of what we're talking about tonight. Sports cards and Wonder uh, yeah. Franco, how he fell off the face of the earth. Yeah, we'll be talking sports cards tonight for all our baseball, football, basketball, soccer, TV show, whatever type of collectible card out there we're going to talk about pretty much predominantly how we got started in collecting the junk wax era and everything that followed and to where we are today so we'll jump into it and we'll start with brandon brando when do you remember first getting involved buying cards and trading cards the first set of cards that i remember buying frequently
3: were 1986 tops So those always hold a special place in my heart.
1: Was it always baseball or did you buy football too? I eventually moved to
3: basketball, football, hockey, but baseball is what I started with. And let's see, football, like I, I had a bunch of 85 and 86 tops cards, but I can't really recall buying those packs. I remember I was getting into football quite a bit in like 1989. I was buying quite a bit, like from 89 to 91. Like I, I remember I had so many 91 Pro Set cards, it was insane. That set, man, oh my gosh, there were so many errors and miscuts, and you'd have one dude down the front and, like, somebody else's bio on the back. That set was crazy. That might have been 90%. I can't remember. You are equally bad. (laughs) Yeah, unfortunately, I didn't get into basketball in 86, because that would have been a much wiser
1: investment on
2: my behalf, but
1: live and you learn. How about you, Ben? When did you get into the
2: game? I was born in 84, February of 84. And actually, I was born on the day David Von Erich died, February 10th, 1984. And honestly, as far back as I can remember, because my dad was into it. So like, I always remember having baseball cards and, you know, we watched football, but baseball was his favorite sport for me to watch as a little kid, because that's what he wanted me to do. He didn't want me to play football because he thought I, you know, get hurt and all that shit, even though fastball to the head will do just as much damage. As far as like a set that I really, the first set that I really truly remember collecting, I think was probably the 91 Don Russ. And I literally built that entire set from packs at either Toys R Us or the two local card shops we had. And then from then on, it's hit the ground running and it hasn't stopped to this day.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. When every town had three card shops. Yeah, it used (laughs) to be that way for real. I I think the first packs I remember buying were '85 tops football with the all black borders. Yeah, and and like I used to buy those a bunch because I was always trying to get Bears cards. I knew other players like Marcus Allen, you know, some of the bigger names, Tony Dorsett, but I just wanted Bears players. '85 Walter Payton's a nice looking card. Yeah, and then I rolled that into '86 tops, and just like you said, building a set with packs, I used to do that. I would buy packs every day and then get the rack packs, the big three-pack. Right. And I would buy those constantly and just collecting the Bears cards. And to this day, like, you know how they had their name across the bottom, and then it had kind of like a diagonal with the team name. Right. Cut the bottom off right underneath their name and then angled up where the team name was. <laughs> I cut the fucking straight-up bottoms off of these cards now that are worth, like, a mint, dude. And th- what a set that is, dude. Holy oh, cow. Reggie awesome, White. Bro. Steve Young, Jerry Rice, Andre Reid. I mean, it's, it's loaded with Hall of Famer rookie cards. Jim Kelly. What? It's very similar, too. What oh, is 86?
2: Third year Montana's.
1: 86 is the green one. Yeah, with the white stripes. It looks like the field. Yep. But I just remember being stoked. I remember opening a pack one day and getting a Jim Covert, and I was just fucking like, yes, <laughs> Jimbo Covert, all pro motherfuckers. I was out of my mind. But like when you would score a Peyton, I would, I remember I'd just be like, yes. And Refrigerator Perry, of course, was super popular at that time. So if you got a fridge, that was big. And then I didn't start baseball until 87 with tops that had like the wood grain background on them. That was my first baseball set. And I don't think I got into basketball until I want to say it was like 89. Was it Hoops? I think it was Hoops and Fleer both came out with sets because there was like, there just wasn't basketball cards. Props said basketball cards until like, what was it, like 93? Yeah. 92, 93, something like that. It was David Robinson's rookie cards that like brought basketball cards back. Eighty-eight, yeah. eighty-nine, maybe. There was a couple years where Hoops was like the only one you could find, and then Fleer came
3: out in like 91, I think. Yeah, Wait, I no, think no, 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 no. 89, 90, 90, yeah, 90 they were and like 89. 89. I remember having a bunch of those. Or
2: 93 maybe, when Topps stopped making just the regular cards, and they came out with the stadium club, and that was a huge deal yeah, because of like the 91 or 92 for
1: baseball, but I think the other sports were like a year or two behind. But stadium club cards were great, but that was when suddenly the 50-cent pack became... A dollar fifty, two dollars, two and a quarter packs of cards started getting expensive, and then now shit, I bought a pack of cards a couple of months ago. Dollar store dude, it was seven fucking dollars for five cards. I was like, holy shit, they're not Bro. fucking around, dude. Because so I got them and, you know, I just I'm scanning my shit out, and I, I'm like, what the fuck, dude? Why is my shit like thirty bucks? <laughs> a lot of basketball
3: cards from the early '90s like to brick when they've been sitting a while. They'll all stick together.
2: Oh yeah. And, uh, that's literally what I was about to say is, about a yeah, go bought a box of 92-93 Stadium Club Basketball. It was an originally top-sealed retail pack. It had 36 packs in it. Yeah, Obviously, I'm going for the Jordan and Shaq rookie card beam teams, because if those gem mint, you're talking two grand up and i think i paid right around 300 for the box of 36 packs and felt like that was a pretty good deal from what i was seeing online and i had to be so fucking careful when i was doing it like i had to just give it a little play each way just uh shimmy it a little just so they would not stick and you know you pull it and the front of one card ends up on the back of another card yeah actually Mm. i live not far from
1: the baseball card exchange shop and I go in there, and that's where I buy my packs and stuff. And I had got some stadium clubs, and I was like, man, these things are going to be fucking stuck together like crazy. And he's like, every time I get these packs, he said, I just I put my thumbs in the middle, and I flex it a little bit over, and I flex it a little bit. He said it kind of just breaks that initial super tight grip. That way it's right. a little easier, like you said, to kind of finagle them apart without damaging them. Because it's so easy. It is so easy. Back then, we had tops. We had Don Russ. We had Fleer. There was Bowman out there for a while. And Bowman used to be trash cards straight up, dude. Those were garbage cards. They came out with the extra long ones. Those cards suck, dude.
3: You're missing a classic one, though. the, The Sport Flicks in 86.
1: Yeah, Sport Flicks. I remember those. Those were amazing to me when I was a kid. I was like, holy shit upper deck yeah when upper deck came out in 89 that was kind of a revolution there and oh, then came the again in 92 when they came out with glossy cards finally with a nice crisp white background that was a huge set too having mariano rivera
2: jeter that 89 griffey rookie still runs it yep card number one that 89 griffy that was a big card back
1: in the day man Still is. the most iconic card of the junk era by far going back to the day what was your best pull out of a pack standing at the card shop at the counter
2: ripping packs what's your best pull so mine didn't come from a card shop mine came from a fucking ride aid okay when we used to have ride aids in florida because we ain't got yeah, that one too <laughs> It was, oh, God, 92 or 93 score baseball. I pulled a Don Mattingly Dream Team card. And at the time, that was like the second most valuable of all the Dream Team cards from that year. It was worth like $40. I couldn't believe I had a card that was worth two digits. You know, like blown away because like you said, they were the pack was under a dollar. It may have been a quarter, and I must have been seven or eight around then, and that was just, like, the most insane thing as a kid that I pulled. And then the year Maguire broke the record, I was in a card shop this time, and it was just a plain old pack of tops, but there was a special Mark Maguire card that was about him breaking the home run, and this is when this shit first came out. Like, this set had just dropped, like, either that day or the day before, So not a lot was out there, you know, this was before the internet, so it's not like a card shop could just hunt down whatever card they're looking for that they want to sell, it's what walks into their shop. And I'm there with my buddy ripping packs, and I pulled the card. At the time it was worth, and I never understood why it was worth so much because there was nothing special about it besides it was foil and the rest was just regular tops. It was probably I think the Beckett said three or four hundred dollars that it was worth right then so whatever that was what 98 90 98 99 somewhere in there and the lady who was a friend of my mother's from the time they were children mind you offered me 20 bucks for it and I almost cursed her out and I think I was 13 cool. or you know what I'm saying or no I, I was a freshman in high school so I must have been 15. At I least. probably would have took it. I'd have been like, "I got a hot hand, baby. Give me that money." <laughs> Going back, well, to crack. <laughs> Looking back now, that card ain't worth jack shit. I should have took the twenty bucks. Right. <laughs> this
3: is my retirement, lady. But it was
2: just funny how, at the time, that card was a monster, and then just like that.
1: Yeah, it's so, crazy how it? fast a card can just go belly up. There was a long time
3: when the 1986 Donruss-Glenn Davis card was a solid $6 in Beckett every freaking month. He
1: was a good player for a while, though. He had about a five-year stretch. Where he,
3: he was, not that was his rookie card. The 86 Donruss was just so hot for so long because of the Canseco rookie. Oh yeah, was- uh, It's got McGriff's rookie. Like That's a good set, and that was highly valued comparatively for like a, a
1: good four or five years, maybe. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Ben is a pack I always buy. I believe Fred McGriff was in that set also. Yep, that's his rookie. What about you, Brandon? What's
3: your best rip? Oh, it's got to be a Griffey Jr. rookie. You didn't get many inserts back when I started collecting. Like, there just weren't such a thing as inserts. Like, I started collecting, like, right as the junk era was beginning. I remember after I had discovered a shop that had, like, vintage packs... I'd go and I'd buy like a bunch of eighty-eight, eighty-nine clear Fleer basketball and I was getting those. So I can't even remember what the price was, but it was reasonable. I know I'd pulled a few Jordans out of there. That was in like probably close to the mid-90s, 94, 95. I've had several that were probably like Ben was talking pretty hot pulls at the time and then they just turned to shit. <laughs> All the dead prospects. Yeah. Not dead, but you know, the, the ones that are worth a ton for like Few months and then all of a sudden
1: they're worthless. Then we saw them play. <laughs> yeah, so I think my best pull. I got two at the same shop. I was it was probably 1991. I think summer. We went out to Omaha, Nebraska to see my grandparents, and I had my book with me. I always took my card book everywhere I fucking went. At that time, I got their phone book out, dude. And the Omaha phone book is like. Psh. So I was just going through the yellow pages, looking for baseball card shops, and there was one at the mall. I was like, I need to go to the mall. <laughs> so I had no money. I just had my book. So I just walked in, you know, and guy's like, what's up, kid? And I just threw my book on the counter, and he just started, like, going through, pulling cards out of my book, and... And then he starts like adding up. He's like, "Well, I got like you know like eighty something in trade, or I can give you like you know sixty five in cash." And I was like, "We'll do some trade, man. I'll take it in trade." And I was like, "I'll get some packs." So I just went through. I was like getting some packs, and ninety Leaf was the hottest shit at the time for baseball. That one pack of Series Two, it was like twenty five bucks for one pack. I was like, "Holy shit, man!" And I got a pack of ninety Skybox basketball, the debut year for Skybox. So that was like a four dollar pack. And I was like, holy shit, you know. So that took a bunch of my money, and then it I just had to, real hot for a while. Yeah, so I'm like ripping all these packs, and I get down. I got my last two, my good two packs of the Leaf and the Skybox, and I opened the Skybox. Got a Jordan and a Sean Kemp rookie in the same pack, and a Mugdho, okay. which I thought was cool as shit. Because that's that's one of the cards that's on my list for favorite cards, though. But I was like freaking out, like panicking. I'm like, oh my god! And then I opened the Leaf. Series are 290 all and the first fucking car was the Frank Thomas. And the guy's like, Are you got to be kidding me? The guy's <laughs> just freaking out. And I was like, What do you give me for the Frank Thomas? And he gave me a shitload more and traded for the Frank Thomas. And I, cause I immediately just traded it. I was like, I got a hot hand. Let me get some more packs. <laughs> and, yeah. and I got like a shitload more packs and just basically was filling sets at that point. It's like being at Vegas, but as a kid. I think we
3: need to paint a slightly better picture of what the card
1: market was like at that time. Oh, that guy totally ripped me off. I mean, because everything that I probably traded that dude $350 worth of cards, you know, because shops would always give you like low side of the Beckett on trade. And I think he was even more pissed off because I was pulling these hot ass cards. (laughs) 30% is about
2: the best you'd ever do at a card shop. Like as far as what they're going to give you for what it's worth. Yeah, they were... Sharks in the water. They My favorite shop, percent
3: cash, 100% trade. Nobody else ever did that.
2: It's a little different now with the virtual age and anybody can fucking sell. I don't need your card shop. They're still fucking sharks.
1: A lot of the card shops now survive doing the autograph signings and stuff like that. Like Baseball Card Exchange, they've always got a former Blackhawk, a former Bear, a former Cub, former White Sox, Notre Dame, Northwestern. There's always a former somebody at Baseball Card Exchange doing a signing like every weekend. That's awesome. I think Dan
2: Hampton was just there like two weeks ago. Do they post like who's coming or is it like short?
1: They advertise on ESPN 1000 out of Chicago. So they're, I mean, it's always Rodman was there not long ago. Singletary was there not that long ago. Okay. They even had Joe Klein, former 12th man for the Bulls.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I might be sending you a little package, my friend.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's a cool shop, though. They got tons of cool memorabilia. They got a Ty Cobb bat. Wow. Wow. You got a, a Mantle jersey. They got some cool shit, man. You got to watch out for a lot of that Mantle stuff.
3: There was a few scandals with some of the top memorabilia dealers with primarily Mickey Mantle autographs. A lot being fraudulent. You used to be able to find a Mickey Mantle autograph ball very easily. Pretty much every shop had one. Yeah. Certificates of authenticity weren't really a thing back then. So there's a lot of fake autographs going around. That, he had like uh, a super
1: easy signature, too. Yeah. big loop. I mean, head.
3: people practiced it. There's people so good at forging that they'd be ambidextrous and, you know, use their left hand if they're doing
1: like a Ted Williams autograph. Right. Yeah, you were talking about inserts a minute ago. I think it was 90 or 91 score that had the Mickey Mantle inserts, the random autographs. And I think Upper Deck had a Ted Williams one, too. Yes, they, they got a Ted
2: Williams hologram, maybe, or something. There was something they did. It was an autograph because i pulled the card that doesn't have the autograph but it's the same card and it was on the front of the fucking box and i remember when i was opening that pack in the card shop i thought i hit it and then you know i looked at it and realized it wasn't signed because i just saw the top of the card at first and i was like oh my god but yeah that score with the mickey mantles those are highly sought after now In fact, some of them popped up in one of the Facebook card groups about a month ago. I'm sure
1: those have been proven to be, like, legit. They didn't, like, send a stack of shit to Mickey's house.
3: The inserts are really what started people getting interesting in uh, sequencing, trying to find the insert cards. I remember, I think it was like 93 Donruss. I bought a couple boxes. Each had four inserts in it. And I realized that there was one in each stack and they're all right in the middle of the box. So you go in, take those four packs and you get all the insert cards and then, you know, do what you want with the rest the good shop owner that i knew that would give like a hundred percent trade on stuff and he was just kind guy wanting to get kids into the hobby and stuff just all around good dude he didn't like people like searching packs or like messing with it so he'd open up a fresh box he'd mix up all the packs and put them in there i was a kid i was like oh man I was doing research, and there's, like, an old cello pack that if you see a certain card on the front or the back, there's, like, more than a 50-50% chance you're going to hit, like, this rookie or that rookie. Like, I remember I was
2: doing that a lot with
3: 85 tops. It worked out a good amount of the time.
2: Yeah, I forget what the exact sequence is, but there's, like, a certain three-player sequence in the 85-86 Fleer or whatever whichever it is for the Jordan rookie and like if you hit if those three players are in a row, the next card's gonna be that Jordan.
1: Yep. How shitty would it be the those be the last three in your pack? Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) When
3: they're making those cards, they're just hoping to sell them and make a profit as, as a company and then you know they never thought of, oh, somebody's gonna figure out the sequencing or something like that. I guarantee that
1: thought never even crossed their mind until it became a problem right the problem i have with the older cards now especially when i buy packs now fucking miscuts fuck dude tops was
2: awful back in the day for that they still are in control they still are bro you wouldn't believe some of the shit that comes oh, dude, out I remember getting some that were like literally half
1: of one card and half of another card I was like, are you fucking
2: serious? <laughs> like a fucking aneurysm? It's not far off sometimes even with these expensive ass cards that are 50, 60 dollars a box. It's insane. Like low numbered parallels, you'll have a card that's of 5 and one of them will be just horribly off center and it's like ah, there's five yeah. fucking cards of that. How did you not see it?
3: Well, also you can get a brand new pack and the corners can be dinged and this even happens in the uh, ones that come in boxes now that are all packaged nicely and safely, and even those, you get it packed fresh, and, you know, there's some kind of flaw on it. And this could be a numbered car too, you know? It may be like a one-out-of-five car, but it's fucking damaged the second it comes out of the pack, you know? It's it's disappointing. Uh, do a better job of quality control. Rookie
2: auto, because that's exactly what happened with this. I pulled this out of a blaster box, and Oh, wow. Be careful. The corner was dinged when it came out. I was like, you got to be fucking kidding me. And like it's because it's a holographic card like the border is. It's in the upper right corner and it's extremely noticeable.
3: Especially if you're getting one of those graded because that
2: makes such a significant difference on value. It's everything. Even the difference between a nine and a ten is astronomical. Yep. That's a whole other ball of wax, too, because, I
1: mean, that's one grader sees it one way, another grader sees it another, you know. Right. You well, that's why gap, there's only three respe- respected uh, companies with the grading. There's a lot of gray area between
2: 9 and 10. Yeah, and it's crazy because even of the three respected, it's almost like politics. If you're a PSA guy, you will not fuck with Beckett and you don't fuck with... SGA. And if you're a fucking Beckett guy, you think fucking PSA is shit, because PSA don't give you the subcategories like Beckett does. And Beckett is allegedly harder to gem mint on. I guess they issue more 9.5s than gem mint 10s, which I mean, a 9.5 is still considered gem mint. It's just not Mm -hmm. a 10. And I mean like, it's so fucking subjective. I mean, who knows? Maybe the motherfuckers are lying. Wouldn't surprise me. But I've seen stories of guys getting Getting, sending shit off to PSA, getting a 9, not believing that it's a 9, cracking it open, resubmitting it, and getting a fucking 10. Yep. And it's like you would think in this day and age with laser scans and computers and shit that they would have taken the human aspect out of card grading.
3: Well, a lot of people like to say, too, is if you're
1: one of their better customers, you're going to get better grades. Right. So I don't doubt that at all. And then, like, some people, they don't like to badmouth them online. They give them shitty grades on good cards. Companies controlled by
3: humans, so you tell me.
1: Right.
2: I also think they try to do a lot of population control, too. Like, they don't want, even if this card is gem mint 10, they don't want... Fifty million PSA gem tens out there because then that makes it. If there's more gem tens out there than fucking nines, you know what I yeah, mean?
3: Especially like, if they have like investments in auction houses.
2: <laughs> yeah, well that's another ball of wax right there. Just what kind of fucking artificial bullshit those most of those auction houses are. Even the big ones like Golden mm-hmm. or known shiller. He's known to have a whole team of people that shill bid things just so he can put up there that it's sold for blah 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 like he already bought the fucking card when it comes to auction and he's acting like he's selling it for somebody else and in reality he's outright bought the card and he'll have shill bidders come out and bump the price up to at least what he thinks it's worth and then either he gets paid for it or he fakes like he did and keeps the card and then sells it off some other way and he's the most respected one out there buying his own card <laughs> <laughs> it, just to say it was bought for this much yes to say this is what we do it's the old okey doke you know what i'm saying like making himself like a promotional video pretty much and i mean obviously he's hoping that a real buyer outbids his shill bidding but if it doesn't he can still say oh it's sold for blah 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 and and he's not out anything either he's just a but it's publicity right that's exactly what it is
3: there were so many bids last time that the new owner's putting it up for auction at our next auction. over <laughs> <Yeah. figure. laughs>
2: Never even left the warehouse.
1: Hot potato. <laughs> Going back to the junk wax era, what were some of your favorite cards from back in the day? I wrote down a list here, some cards that I always thought were kind of cool. Uh the first one I had written down here is '86 Fleer Baseball, the Mickey Hatcher card from the Twins, where he has the huge, oversized glove on. Yeah, yeah, star. creepy-ass Picture. I just always thought that was super cool. '90 Skybox Basketball, Muggsy Bogues. That was the year like that the Hornets and them were fresh to the league, and it's just a cool ass picture of Muggsy with a star behind him, and like the Skybox had like a really cool, like outer spacey look to him, and like the gold borders. And it was just a really cool looking card first Um, of its kind yeah it was like the first like almost like mural painting like background card without like a hard solid border like i always looked at it like the first computer generated type design yeah kind of like the forefather of a lot of insert designs yeah in a way it did kind of have that look to it 89 upper deck nolan ryan where he's throwing a football oh yeah that's a great card 92 fleer ultra basketball to kimba matumbo it's just like a, a regular ass car, but he, he's got like Matumbo face. He's like, ah. It looks kind of like Nancy Kerrigan when she got clobbered, and she's going, why? why? It looks like Matumbo doing that face. So, yeah, check out 92 Fleer Update to Matumbo. 90 score baseball and 90 score baseball supplemental. Two Bo Jackson cards. One of them was with the shoulder pads and he had the bat across the shoulder. Yep. And the one from the supplemental set was the same get up. He had the football pants and the pads, but he was just holding the bat like he's in the batter's box. Both of those two cards, those were hot tickets too, man. I always dug those cards. The shoulder
3: pad card, in my opinion, is right up there with Ken Griffey Jr. Just like, I don't want to ruin it in case you're going to say it, but the Michael Jordan baseball card, like those those three are pretty
1: iconic. Was that 90 or 91 upper deck when Jordan had the White Sox card? 91, I think. I think so too. Yeah, that was a cool card too. We pulled that out of a pack, I don't know, a couple months ago. I like to go to
3: card shows and pick up
1: cheap junk era boxes and rip them for nostalgia's sake. Let me see yeah. something. I just did some 89 Don Russ. I got a box for like 27 bucks, I think
2: i get this subscription box and it's called junk wax box i get it every month in fact one just shipped yeah, i've got a couple of those before yeah and let's see this year you're chasing Shaq rookie cards nice one of them is the jordan baseball card this one you're beam team chasing according to this a PSA 10 of a 92 93 Stadium Club Shack Bean team rookie card PSA 10 5 gram the Jordan 4500 Jesus that's why I bought that $300 box it's a lot
1: better than what you're getting in the Walgreens box I bought the Junk Wax ones like the literal Junk Wax ones it's where it's like the 87 to probably 91 baseball they throw in like one pack of like 85 fleer or something
2: these come with three basketball three baseball and three football every month and you'll be chasing a certain thing like sometimes it's jordan basketball cards sometimes it's the jordan baseball cards sometimes it's griffey jr rookie cards jeter rookie cards that jeter tops gold that's a monster That draft pick card of his, I think it's 92 tops or 93 tops. That's gem min 10. That's a monster. What do they charge for that thing? 35 bucks.
3: How many cards do you get? Nine packs. Since you keep up with it, you're saying it's a
2: pretty good deal? I hit a Jordan often enough to keep me hooked. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much.
3: It's easy to get hooked on just a little bit when it comes to cards. You're gambling when you buy boxes, because you're always chasing the big one. It's like a scratch-off lottery ticket, you know? There's a lot of times you can buy, like, a $1,000 box and end up with jack shit.
2: See all those? That is Topps Heritage from 2022. These were $55 a box. I bought as many of them as I could find. Ripped them all. Wasn't even chasing a specific rookie, but I was chasing this man, And I found him. This is a red ink numbered of 73 in the style of the 1973 Topps cards. Show high O'Tanny.
3: I like how it's hand numbered.
2: Yeah, they only do that with the red ink in Heritage. With the blue ink, it's just the signature. But that came out of the Port Charlotte Walmart. Unreal. That is a huge card. Right now, if I got that graded... I could probably get probably in the neighborhood of $1,500 for it right now, raw. And if I graded it and came back a nine or a 10, which I don't think it will because the centering is a tad off, but PSA is forgiving on centering. So maybe, maybe it might. I'd be looking at upwards of like six or 7,000. No question. asked. like, I'd sell it right away.
3: But then you run the chance of also getting a very harsh grade and anything below a nine, you're not going to make a significant amount of money. Right. If you're getting like an eight, then you might want to think about breaking it
2: and resubmitting it. Right. Yeah. Like an eight is pretty much raw price. And then if you get below that, you're actually losing money on it.
3: The modern game is so much different than the junk wax era we were talking about. Oh, it's completely completely different.
2: different. It's insane how they've reinvigorated the card market and made it exciting again to where, like, literally, I feel like I did when I was ripping junk wax when I'm opening this new shit. Like, I'm just waiting to see that, that card that everybody's looking for. And I mean, it's through all three major sports, as far as cards go, I'm and I'm not diminishing hockey. I know hockey does have some pretty good fucking value, but the money's in baseball, football, and basketball. And it's, just funny how in football optic runs it and prism yep. runs it, but yep. in baseball those ain't shit because they're unlicensed yep. and it's like it's crazy how in one sport that kind of card is like what you're looking for what you want that's where you want to pull even base rookies. I
3: think about that often, but that's actually good for the hobby because not one company's gonna get dominant and the, the market's saturated with different types of products, like so so many different types of cards out there to choose from. But I think what's really carried it is there's a lot of standalone products that are, you know, very impressive and you know get a lot of attention and people are always chasing those. Right. So it helps the hobby to where you have multiple companies that are able to to get a hot product and then at the same time even though there's a, a ton of options out there there's a few premium ones that are gonna help carry each of those companies
2: well what do you think's gonna happen now that fanatics fall?
3: i knew that was coming next monopolies aren't good they're not good for consumers so we'll see how all that goes
2: yeah i'm really shocked like this prism football that we're seeing right now and the mosaic football that came out a couple months ago and maybe we'll get lucky and see optic this is it that's it for fanatics after this those are going to be unlicensed fucking cards or for panini i mean those are going to now be unlicensed cards and they're not going to have the fucking logos and the team names and or it might have the team name but they can't show any of the logos or any of the shit that's trademarked they even yeah. got to take the Bell shield off the jerseys
3: the thing is is they got to get more creative with the designs to where it, it doesn't look as cheap because if you got some picture and there's just a bunch of shit airbrushed out you know that looks dumb right it is unappealing but if you have like a deal with the players association you know you can set up photo shoots of something unique and interesting to where it's like they don't have to wear their team hat you know
1: you
2: oh, got so- the
3: players you know you don't even have to mention the team they play for
2: Right. There was
1: a company back in 90 or 91 called Studio. Yep. And they just took, like, fucking look like senior pictures.
3: That's what what I'm getting at, man. Like, if you had a Studio-type vibe, but had it more updated for something modern and
1: premium-type card, I think that could get pretty hot those other cards that studio shit i remember there was steve bedrosian had one where he had a fucking parrot on his shoulder yeah. <laughs> it'd be like fucking like the rookie cards that year would be like manny ramirez he'd be standing there like wearing a cardigan holding a bat right and some cavarici pants you're like what the fuck is this yeah. What kind of cards are these man
3: <laughs> that's the thing too is a company that doesn't have those team rights is gonna have to come up with something creative to survive right There will be a market for all these consumers that don't like the monopolization to where there's not the free market of cards that they want with selection. That was the coolest thing about the junk era is you had three to four major brands the entire time and people had their preferences and each would have a value. Downrest was usually right up there with tops, sometimes a little above, sometimes a little below. And after that, you'd have Fleer, And then you'd have the fourth product, which is whatever. And then all of a sudden upper deck comes around they shoot up to be at a tops level.
1: Right. So like Ben said earlier, then all of a sudden you got Top Stadium Club. You got Fleer Ultra. You got Don Russ
2: fucking Triple Play. Don Russ will play. That's I what it was. Piece. I would think of what that card was. Like I was envisioning it in my head and I could not remember the name. Don Russ Triple Play.
1: Everybody had something different offshoot thing
2: coming out. And I think Upper
1: Deck just stayed Upper Deck. I don't think they ever really spanned out at that time anyway. Right.
3: I think some of it has to do with the philosophy that, oh, they're going to each have their favorite product or something. Maybe they don't like our main product. Let's have an alternative to where if they're going to
1: buy something other than our main one, they'll choose this off brand. Right. Yeah, usually they would like upgrade it. Like Stadium Club was high gloss, sharp corners, no borders, and like Fleer Ultra, all gloss, no borders. But then Triple Play was like a little kid card, you know? It had like the fucking Bazooka Joe fucking joke on the back and shit, and it was like a little kid card. Don Russ had the fucking badass Diamond Kings that were like embossed and like super fucking glossy and same thing, no borders on them, sharp corners. Those were pretty cool. I think they were called like Diamond Elites or something like that. That's the one with the sequencing I was talking about earlier. Yeah, that was the first time, like, Diamond Kings were numbered. There was, like... But still, there was, like, 10,000 of each one. But at the time, we didn't realize that was crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Regression of the hobby (laughs) from
3: there, and then you have, like, a dead period, you know, the strike. Like, the baseball card industry just died. It's nice that it's had a resurgence.
2: Yeah, and it's just insane how they started adding autographs or started adding extremely low numbered parallels and everything else like shit that makes you chase it all you can do is envision opening a pack and there's thumbing through and holy shit there it is exactly what you've been looking for and it's crazy to me because I've been buying cards throughout this entire time and there was a good 15-20 years where I would pretty much have my pick of whatever I wanted at any Walmart or Target or Toys R Us or anywhere that wasn't a card shop i used to go to the toys r us and buy uh, the whole retail box of like the skybox z-force i pulled like three tim duncan rookies out of this box in maybe 97 or 98 somewhere in there and it's just like i had that all to myself throughout the 2000s the 2000s teens up until I guess it was Patrick Mahomes in 2017 that really started it but in 2018 when that man I just showed you right there Shohai Otani when his rookie card was the chase that's when it started getting to the point to where you couldn't find shit anywhere and then once the pandemic happened I mean and it hasn't let up I haven't I haven't found any new wax at any of the stores or around here in probably three months and one, two, three, four, five Walmarts within reasonable driving distance and a target. And you know what I mean? Like I can't find one overpriced box of cards, let alone the whole deal like I used to get. And it's wild to me because it's gotten so lucrative that it has spawned two other avenues of generating revenue from sports cards not sure drew if you're familiar with the whole card breaker phenomenon well that has turned into big business and that is a big part of the reason why when you're trying to buy the new product that comes out whether it's retail or whether it's direct from the hobby boxes and the more expensive boxes direct from the retailer whether it's tops or it's panini they would do these Dutch auctions where a box would start at a price and every five minutes it would drop fifty or a hundred dollars until it sells out. And a box that should be selling for around three to four hundred dollars is selling for eight to nine. And it's forcing like the people who just wanna rip cards and you know what I mean? Pack chase whatever they're getting priced out by the same people that they turn around and go to because then they go to these motherfuckers online and they buy teams yep. and they get into a break and they buy the team of the card they're chasing and probably overpay for the team and then they think they're not it's better to lose thirty dollars or whatever instead of four hundred but the thing is like you can just as easily in one of those breaks get absolutely no cards whatsoever like you might get skunked. It happens. It's happened to me before. And then the other way to generate revenue is becoming a reseller because there are plenty of people who don't even open it, never have any interest in opening it. If there's a hot rookie in a class, they'll just buy up all the retail stuff they can find and then sit on it for two, three, four years. And once a few stars emerge out of that class, now that box that was retailing for $35 is going for $140. And you'll be it because people are chasing those rookie cards. The most recent, as far as football goes, with that really was the 2020 class where you had Herbert and Burrow and Tua. Those were the three big yep. chases that year. And now you got Jalen Hurts, you got CD Lamb, you got Jonathan Taylor, T Higgins. I ripped a lot of 2020 optic. So like I'm seeing the different rated rookie cards in my head. Justin Jefferson, guys that are big money cards now and then they weren't they were I mean they were a decent card but it wasn't like it is now to where these guys are worth a couple hundred dollars if you're talking a really nice really centered clean parallel rated rookie of one of these guys it's nuts how the year they came out it was Herbert Burrow or Tua or Bus. anything else was a bus. and now because of how hot all three of those guys have stayed whether their teams are good or not Burrow's made it to the Super Bowl Tua had a hell of the season with the Dolphins this year. Josh Allen in that class or no? No, he's two thousand nineteen, I believe. Yeah, I think he was the year before them because Mahomes was seventeen. Maybe he's eighteen. He might be two thousand eighteen. Him and Lamar are the same class, I believe. Or is Lamar earlier than that? I know
1: Josh Rosen was in his class.
2: <laughs> <laughs> he's the guy that flamed out of the top ten. It's funny how it happens because same thing can't be said about the 2021 class. You got Lawrence, you got Zach Wilson, who was a huge chase in that set. I know people that spent literally tens of thousands of dollars in 2021 going after Zach Wilson's and now... Fuck! They'd be lucky to get five hundred bucks for it all. And like, yeah, Justin Fields in that class, Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle, and I mean, these are all solid players. But for whatever reason, like, well, it's not for whatever reason. It's because nobody there is leading any categories in stats except Chase, and nobody else except Chase has made deep runs into the playoffs. And it's really weird that just that one year separated. And at the time in 2021, those were extremely sought after rookie cards and autos and everything. And for whatever reason, like you can still pick up that retail of even the good, the top quality retail brands that you can get, which in my mind and most collectors minds are in this order, mosaic, optic and prism. And if you were going to look at the 2020 class, you're going to pay Three times what you're going to pay for the 2021 class and you don't even want to fucking look at the 2017 boxes because of Mahomes and Deshaun Watson and, you know, a few other guys that were in that class, Cooper Cup, Alvin Kamara. Joe Mixon, those boxes are seriously have probably hit a hobby box, which at retail was probably two to three hundred dollars at the most in two thousand seventeen. Of any of well, Mosaic didn't exist then. Mosaic debuted in twenty twenty. Of either Prism or Optic, you're talking a two or three hundred dollar box that routinely sells for seventeen thousand now. It's insane because it's not like you're guaranteed a Mahomes. Like not every Patrick Mahomes is the big money card. You got to hit one of the parallels and it's got to be numbered or it's got to be signed. Otherwise, it, yeah, it's a solid card, but it's not some crazy number. To whereas Mahomes has like six or seven different rookie card parallels in the prism set. And if they gem in 10, each one of them is worth in the neighborhood of 12 to $14,000. And I mean, you know, there had to be people people in 2017, that were just stockpiling Mahomes, especially if you were a Kansas City fan, because I mean, Alex Smith was there and Alex Smith was, I think, took him to the playoffs the year before. And it's like there was no guarantee Mahomes was going to come in and rock it. He could have sat on the bench for a few years, but for whatever reason, he got his shot and he made the most of it. And within, I think it was within a year, those boxes had tripled in price and within two or three years they had gone up like 500 fold and that's crazy when you're talking about a box that's multiple hundreds of dollars and it's fueled just a whole new like hustle that you can make off cards like i said you don't even have to take the risk of opening and maybe there ain't shit in any of those boxes you just bought you buy them all up you sit on them for two or three years it's almost like the stock market you're praying that rookie class goes off and This goes for all sports. It's all about timing. Go look at an unopened box of any 2018 baseball. Fuck. And I opened so much 2018 baseball. I chased Otani so hard his rookie year. And I really didn't pull anything. I pulled some decent inserts, a lot of base, no numbered parallels, no autographs. And I mean, I opened thousands of dollars worth of baseball in 2018. And that's back when a box this size that is thirty five to forty dollars now was nineteen ninety nine then.
3: Blaster boxes. Blasters were twenty bucks all day and then
2: all of a sudden they're like thirty five. What the rumor is about that is Panini was trying to stop the card flippers, and all that did is they figured if anybody's gonna make that it should be us and you know they thought that they were gonna discourage the guys that go out and clear the shelves just to throw it all on eBay or Facebook marketplace or whatever and in reality all they did was jack it up even more because those guys are still doing it and the problem is when they get a majority of what's out there available because they're the assholes that are at the store the morning the guy from MJ Holdings comes and puts it all out that's another very weird thing target and walmart employees they don't stock the sports cards somebody from mj holdings comes on like thursday and he'll hit every walmart and target in an area and there are people around here that go from sarasota all the way down to fort myers and they call it riding the train because they literally start at like five or six in the morning and whenever whatever time target or walmart opens they have somebody at each one they go Goes in, and when the guy starts unboxing and putting shit up, they literally stand in line to be the first ones to take it. It's the craziest fucking thing I've ever seen. And we're talking grown men. We're not talking kids. I
1: get why the card companies make these like special cards and inserts and autographs and like pieces of jerseys and game use stuff, but it's like the value is there and it's amazing and all that, but it's like they're taking the hobby away from little kids in a way. Absolutely. It's not. It's not a little kid's hobby at all anymore. Yeah, that's why I said I figured that shit out when I was at the dollar store. I bought a pack of cards that had like six cards and it was seven bucks.
2: I was <laughs> yeah. like, what? Yeah, and they were just like basic ass cards, you know? You can get lucky and pull something good out of retail. I've done it a couple times, like actually big cards. But really what they're trying to do is they're trying to get you to buy the more expensive hobby boxes because that's where they're guaranteeing hits. They're guaranteeing low numbered parallels. They're guaranteeing one autograph or two autographs or fuck tops Chrome the Jumbo Hobby Box which usually runs about 350 bucks I think those have five or six autographs in it and you know you hit one hot rookie and as stupid as a lot of the card buyers are in the card market right now they will overpay for somebody when they're hot because they're treating it like stocks you know what I'm saying like they think this guy's gonna be the man in three years because there's all this hype around him or because he can hit a 500 foot home run or throws a 102 mile an hour fastball, whatever, they will seriously overpay for people that haven't proven anything. You know what I mean? Like two years ago, a Wander Franco signed rookie card was selling for more than probably 60 to 70% of the vintage mantles out there. What? Insane. What? And it's like, it's crazy, bro. 2021 we were talking about football we were talking about that class and what a disappointing class it turned out to be mac jones mac jones had a prism one-of-one autographed super refractor card a a 13 or 14 year old kid pulled it sold it for a hundred thousand dollars that same night the person that bought it from him Sold it to somebody else for $175,000. Now they'd be lucky, and this is no joke, they'd be lucky to get $1,000 for it. How many? Bug timing. Do you know how many beautiful Mickey Mantles either of those assholes could have bought for $100,000? Do you guys go to card shows like now,
1: presently? Yep. Like, do you see younger kids at those? I mean, it's usually older guys,
3: but there are what? kids there. Nothing like it used to be.
1: Right. If kid wanted to be in the hobby, like for real, they'd have to have a dad that was like really into it. Right. So it's like your average kid can't go buy a fucking sixty dollar hobby box or whatever, you know.
3: Here's the thing is I see Instagram videos and stuff where it's like hobby flippers and stuff like that. And there are these shows and there's a bunch of kids at the shows, you know, so I mean, they're out there. And the weird thing is, is you'll have like some like nine year old kid who knows more about the current market than I do because he's so on top of it. Back in my day, we had the basic card, so we'd memorize like the stats.
2: Well, and a lot of what I see at the card shows, it's not like it was when we were kids. Like, you don't see kids just running up, like, looking for whatever hot card they're looking for, whatever packs. Like, you see them walking behind their dads. You know what I mean? Like, they're into it, but it's clearly like the dad brought the kid to the show not the kid wanted to go to the show and dad took him. you know what i mean like with us the cool
3: stuff that hooked me about card shows was they used to have games and stuff like gambling type games like you roll like a yahtzee dice and whatever it lands on you get whatever's in the square it could be like a decent card maybe a set of like 91 fleer basketball and right They'd have, like, a Ken Griffey Jr. Like, all the good ones were, like, in the corners. Our it was a fun
1: game. A wheel, fortune wheel. And it had, like, prizes on whatever thing. And it was, like, five bucks to spin the wheel. I was like, fuck that. I ain't spending five bucks on that. <laughs>
3: on paper bag
1: mystery bag yeah it yeah, to be a pack of sport flicks
2: and tops big you're like fuck i got bamboozled yeah no it's it's really changed though because now like it's not that same atmosphere that we had as kids either i mean i'm sure like the national really big card shows the dallas sports memorabilia show those are extremely large card and memorabilia conventions and i'm sure that they are a blast but just like your average card show that you go to now like it's i don't know it's just a different energy you know what i mean you can tell that the adults have taken it over and it's not a kid's hobby anymore
1: crazy that they do them like at fucking convention centers and fucking stadiums and shit like the two shows i went to one of them was at the fairgrounds of the county that i lived in and the other one was at a fucking holiday inn in like a banquet room i was like i remember going like at the holiday inn like what Because it was in the back of a Beckett, and i was like well fuck go check it out dude i was like hopefully we don't get murdered dude this sounds sketchy as fuck dude <laughs> meet me at the holiday inn we'll trade baseball cards i'm
2: about to get killed clutching my book you ain't getting my book I don't remember what hotel chain it was, but I feel like I remember going to a card show that was at a hotel and my dad like saying the same thing. Like, you're going to get us killed. That's so funny.
1: It was cool, though. I remember it was like going into Toys R Us for the first time. You're like, "Holy shit. Like, right. this is all
2: cards. It was kind of overwhelming a little bit. Yeah, I always remember thinking, like, how do I get to be that guy? How do I get to be the guy that the card shot? I'm trying to
1: picture in my mind, like, because when I went to those shows, there was, like, guys that had the display with the mantles and the fucking Williamses and the Astrimskis and the fucking Nolan Ryan rookie cards. And you're like, oh, my God, look at all this shit, you know? You're like, man... I wish my cards will be like that you know the guys I'm collecting now and right. now it's so different now at one point they had cards that were like a fucking eighth of an inch thick they'd have like a piece of a bat in it or a hockey puck shaving or you know what I mean or a piece of a football I'm like what the hell do they're just like they put the one card in a pack it was like as thick as a pack of
2: cards yeah, yeah to the point that now they put a spacer that's just a blank piece of cardboard pretty much white on both sides they will put those in packs so people who are going through packs searching will get fooled saying oh shit this pack way thicker than this pack there's got to be something good in here that's gangster dude (laughs) i like it and you know that's cool for retail but it pisses me off when i'm opening fucking packs out of a box and i'm like all right i got something in it
1: Walker. I kind of just stumbled back into cards maybe a year or so ago, a little more than a year ago. Actually, a bunch of the cards I brought you down at the Fest were just cards that I had bought at Baseball Card Exchange because I saw a video on accident on YouTube of a guy ripping packs of like late 80s football cards. And I was like, holy shit, man. And I was just, I didn't even see the names. I just saw the cards. I just started naming the guys because I remembered the cards from having them, you know. I was like, I need to get some right. cards, too, because it was just like making me feel good just to watch it. Oh, yeah. It like getting that feeling of like being a kid and ripping packs. And me and Mike, we went up to Hammond and have lunch with Ken Zalewski. And we drove by Baseball Card Exchange and I was like, man, I'm going to swing in there. on the way back. Went in there, I bought, I don't know, probably like 15 packs. A bunch of like uh, I bought two packs of 85 tops football, I remember that. And then just like a bunch of 87, 88, 89 football. Some 86 Don Russ. I don't know, some 85 Fleer, 86 Fleer, I want to say. Tried to get the Fuckface cards. I got a rack pack of the 89 Fleer, looking for the fuck face card (laughs) we came back to the hq and i was like mike we're gonna rip these packs open dude we tore them open got a bunch of cool shit man nothing like huge but it was just fucking cool man actually pulled a sterling shark rookie nice cool i mean it was just fun man i was like dude every time we go we gotta swing in there i gotta get some wax
2: packs dude (laughs) (laughs) and it's exactly what you said it's that feeling of being a kid it's that feeling of going to the card shop on saturday morning and spending your whole fucking allowance on those 92 don Ross. it's even cooler
1: when you're a grown-ass adult and you got like money <laughs> and you're just like obviously you want to be reasonable but yeah i went in there i spent like fucking 50 bucks just buying packs
3: very reasonable just, price nostalgia is expensive
1: yeah it is yeah, the good nostalgia is pretty pricey per pack, but there's was, some average nostalgia. Yeah, yeah. Eighty seven, eighty eight tops football packs probably between like six to ten bucks a pack, whereas eighty six tops football. You're looking at like 150 a pack. One year difference, like you said, just depending on the class, you know. There's a lot of good fun to be had for 10 to 20 bucks in the junk wax boxes and shit. I picked up a box of 89 Donruss Baseball for like 27 bucks, and it was fucking awesome. I picked that one up at uh, Uncle John's Flea Market. Nice.
3: Before the pandemic, I was getting junk wax boxes for $5 at the card shows. Oh, yeah basically giving them away. Pandemic happens and everybody is stuck in the house and they pull out the baseball card collection and get back into it.
1: Yeah, the guy at the bootleg DVD place at the flea market, he was actually, if you bought five DVDs for two bucks a piece, he would give you a full set of either 1990 Fleer, 1990 Donruss, or 1990 Topps yeah. Baseball for free. Just take this fucking thing.
3: 91 Yellow Fleer, <laughs> terrible.
1: Oh, those were awful, but like the 90 Fleer, 90 Fleer was a cool design, but they, it was just, there was
2: a billion of them. Yeah. There was a billion of them. What's crazy too is there were, I believe, Frank Thomas, Sammy Sosa, Palmero. Those were all rookie cards in that that too. Palmero was 87. Was he? Who yeah. am I thinking of
1: then? There was somebody else. Juan Gonzalez was 90. Juan Gonzalez, he was a ranger. I'm trying to think of who the other guys were from 90. Let me see. Dean Palmer, (laughs) Palmer. he was actually kind of big for a hot minute. 90 was
3: the Kevin Moss.
1: Yeah, 90 upper deck Kevin Moss, that was a hot fucking card. He finished the season before, it was like 12 games, 20 games, something like that, he hit fucking 11 homers. Yes, sir, there it is. (laughs) Ruben Sierra. Jesus. Who were some of the guys that you collected? Like, when I first started collecting, I got my, you know, I got my binder with my pages in it. And I would just, like, collect players. I'd have them, like, in pages, you know, in order. Yep. The guys I remember first starting to collect were Will Clark and McGriff were the two guys that, like, those were my guys that I collected. Like, I wanted, it was my mission to get every card they had. But then, of course, you know, I had my Sean Dunstans and Sandberg, of course, favorite. I always got to set aside the hot name. then Frank Thomas was local. Jack McDowell. Those were pretty hot cards for a while. I remember Robin Ventura. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Robin Ventura. Uh, The new hotness can become the
2: old and busted real quick. Sure can. For me, it was Ricky Henderson. I always collected a lot of Ricky Henderson. I loved Uh, the whole stolen base. There
1: was an upper deck card, wasn't there, where he was, like, taking off or sliding into the base, but it was, like, a triple frame, like...
2: And then there was also the card and Lou Brock in suits and they were shaking hands and he was handing them the 939th base or whatever it was. It was out of that set. Obviously Junior, we all collected Junior. I like Frank Thomas. I like Sandy Alomar Junior. I was real big on him. Motherfucker had a rookie card three years in a row in Don Rust. (laughs) He was a rated rookie in 89, he was a rated rookie in 90, and he was the rookie of the year in 91. A lot of those same guys you said will clark ryan sandberg don mattingly Fred mcgriff pete rose i collect a lot of pete rose because that was my dad's favorite player the first autograph i ever got one year for christmas was a pete rose autographed ball still have it very first card i ever got that was like a good old card was a 1973 Pete rose i wasn't really into football but i was into basketball i fucking loved Sean Kemp. Still do. Those are all Sean Kemp jerseys. All different. Cavs, Sonics. Two of them are actually... The White Sonics' is rookie year game-worn and the White Cavs isn't game-worn, but it was... Like an extra of his that he never wore. Like it was tailored professionally for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Like it's not a champion or a starter or, you know, any shit like that. I really wish I would have been into Kobe because I could have. Like I had a buddy who loved Kobe and he would get like seven or eight of each of his cards like the first like three or four years. And he was always trying to like trade them to me. But I was like, no, nah, fuck you. Kemp's coming back. <laughs> Kemp's going to be the man. Fuck Jordan. Fuck kobe sean kemp fuck Shaq, sean kemp yeah all he did was have another fucking kid (laughs) say you got one jersey for every kid yeah pretty much what was it (laughs) 14 kids by 12 women or 13 women something like that he was busy dude badass dude he was still look up his shit every now and then just trying to find another jersey i don't have pretty much mainly trying to find a portland trailblazers jersey because i got a magic one i got all the sonics ones i got a all-star one got both calves and I came across a game-worn jumpsuit, like his warm-up suit for the Trailblazers. And apparently, this motherfucker takes his game-worn shit and just donates it to a Goodwill. And, like, writes wow. on John Kemp, Game News. Oh, that's awesome. Because he's real big in the marijuana industry up in Washington. In fact, I didn't he just shoot at somebody not too long ago?
1: Yep, yep, I heard all that.
2: Yeah, he's a gangster.
1: Goddamn. Now I'm raining bullets on you motherfuckers. Holy shit. I wonder if Gary Payton's like his point guard still looking out in the tower and shit.
2: I wasn't really into hockey and I always regretted it because that Wayne Gretzky card was very attainable in the early 90s for a decent price and now it's a
1: monster. I think I bought hockey like one year. Like maybe there was when Stadium Club did a hockey, their premier hockey season, maybe 91 or two. But I I want to say like Yager was kind of new then. I don't think he was a rookie, but he was like second year, maybe Yarmir Yager. Then of course, Lemieux and Gretzky cards Where Jeremy Roenick was hot, new, Brett Hall. And there were some guys that, like, you knew, because that was kind of, actually, that kind of led to my fascination with ESPN as a kid, too. That was how I fucking tried to figure out who the rookies were watching baseball tonight every fucking night. Who's hot, you know? Because then, that's how I figured out how Scott Erickson, when he broke in with the Twins, winning 20 games and taking them to the fucking World Series as a rookie. You know, it's wild, dude. But ESPN played into a lot of that. Sports Center and fucking NFL primetime Time, you know, you'd figure out who's the new fucking next guy in line, the next sensation or whatever. But that was kind of how I figured out, because I didn't ever really watch hockey. But you'd see him on Sports Center or whatever, and you'd be like, oh, okay. We all knew Gretzky and Lemieux, but I didn't know who the fuck Patrick Wilde really was. I Until I start watching SportsCenter four times a fucking day before school.
2: (laughs) You want to know what's funny? I pick my fantasy football team based on card values. (laughs) Brock Purdy, I took him in both leagues I'm in, both money leagues I'm in this year because of his rookie card values straight up. And I finished third in a league that's $220 a person with 12 teams. So you know what I'm saying? like
1: I won my league. I know what you're saying. Did you? Nice. Yeah. I came in seventh in the other ship league. I missed the playoffs by three points. I think I won the consolation loser bracket. (laughs) I'm not sure. Fucking Benji whipped our asses in that fucking other shipper league yeah and
2: god damn it i was fucking doing really good in that league i had the worst fucking
1: team dude
2: (laughs) i had the worst fucking team they were six and oh or seven and oh and then the fucking wheels just fell off
1: oh dude i never even put wheels on mine (laughs) i was like let's just shove this fucking heavy thing
2: (laughs) But it's always next year. It'll be here before we fucking know it.
1: Yeah. Actually, here we are, what, two, three weeks away from pitchers and catchers reporting for spring training? Yeah. That's good. That means the weather's going to change.
2: Yeah. And the Rays do spring training in my town, and like literally the next little town over. And I literally mean like the borders, maybe the County line or whatever you want to call it. Town line is like fucking 10 miles away from where I'm at right now. The uh, braves do spring training there so i'm about to have access to both american league and national league teams That's awesome right here i say isn't
1: where we saw the indie matches last year is that was port st Lucie, right no newport Ritchie okay because i was like somebody was saying he's like oh this is where the mets play for spring training and i was like isn't that port st Lucie? <laughs> and i i couldn't remember
2: where the hell we were at but seemed like a nice little town right yeah i mean they got a racquetball club for christ's sake fucking
1: a all right we'll get ready to wrap this thing up you guys got anything you want to add in closing
3: you said you wanted to talk about price guide i don't think we really covered that
2: it's funny how things have changed too because even if a price guide in this current day and age is quote unquote trusted the real price guide and i hate to say this is ebay and
3: you base all prices about right. as and widely accepted as you're going to find. And basically
2: proves what people are willing to pay, I guess. Well, and how recent, you know what I mean? Like, whereas when Beckett would come out, you know, that fucking price could be like this for that whole month. And you don't yeah, know. 30 days comes. in between. Right. Until that next issue comes out. But with eBay and then the Facebook groups that are, you know, their card groups with 30, 40,000 members. It's insane. Those are usually the best places where you can see what shit is actually selling for. And it's funny how how technology has totally changed. I mean, there's even digital cards now that people pay a lot of fucking money for. And it's like, yeah, why would you pay $200 digital autograph? Is that like a NFTs? Yeah, that's exactly what it's like in the same realm (laughs) is that they carry around like a thumb drive like i got
1: mickey Mantle's autograph in here (laughs) let me plug it into my tv and show you
2: i mean i like the concept of it i just i don't know it's weird to me it's weird to me how much people are paying for certain ones that. That kind of money
1: i'd want something tangible that i could put in my hands Here's the thing about the tops now
3: is they're good for like local market fans. Like if there's a small milestone that somebody on their team did, they can okay. put out a card for a couple of days while it's like hot news. And they'll sell those and then that's it. And they don't have to flood the market with those kind of cards for everybody.
2: Right. And that's something I didn't really think of. And that's a good idea.
3: Another revenue stream
2: yeah well that's all it is and it's another step towards getting kids to only be with the phone or the tablet or whatever the fuck and you know they can trade like that instead of like we did carrying around our fucking binders
1: (laughs) (laughs) a lot of business man at cafeteria tables
3: (laughs) people still use binders too that blows my mind
2: Yeah, it does me too, considering we know how much damage they do. Yeah, I've got the binder still. (laughs) Well, I mean, a binder can be all right. It's just the way we did them, you know, we fucking literally would stuff every goddamn sheet of cards in there until it's like this. Yeah, that's how my book is too. Like a bunch of them old school cards that I gave
1: you, dude. Like that, uh, OJ on the Niners. I think that was his last card. Just like I would find stuff like that back in the day. And I would be like, okay. No, I didn't like collect OJ or nothing, but I found it for like a dollar. Right. It's your motto and like some old Joe Namath cards on the fucking Chargers. You know, just like weird old cards. You know, they're not really worth anything, but they're just cool. Probably an OJ card for a dollar and you sold it at the right time. You could have made a killing yeah no shit yeah, but i mean they came out of the like big long boxes you'd be at the flea market just thumbing through raw cards in a fucking long box you know and that's where i found all those the corners were kind of soft on all of them you know they're all off center they're like 70s and early 80s cards rough i still cool. got a bunch of those man a bunch of jim plunkett's
2: Fucking joke echoes, bro. There are people that collect those weird cards like that. Like you wouldn't believe how many Aaron Hernandez card collectors there are. It's insane. I've
1: seen a video of a dude that collected human bones. Man, people buy any fucking thing, dude. <laughs> you got a point there. I was watching a baseball card thing, and it was like collectible shit, and the guy was like, murder collectible. <laughs> dude is sitting there holding a fucking femur. I was like, holy shit. Like, is it autographed or what? Like, what the oh, fuck? fuck? What do you it's even get Who's selling that shit? <laughs> <laughs> That's his cover. Just like I was at a yard sale. <laughs> 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 what the fuck? I'm in antique shop. It was a table leg. weird shit man yeah did you guys ever buy or collect any of like other like cards that weren't sports cards like garbage pail kids or anything like that garbage pail kids wrestling cards yeah, I remember the first run of WWF cards. I had some of those Ninja Turtle. I, I seen it at
3: the last card show, and I was thinking about buying it. I asked the guy the price. He was like one seventy five. I'm like, what? I'm looking uh, online in the comp for all seventy bucks. I show him. He's like, oh, this Hogan's selling for seventy five alone. Like I'm showing him one where it was sold for like fifteen bucks.
1: Like, oh, I can't go that low. I'm like, all right. I just saw something on Twitter the other day. There was some kind of Hulk Hogan card. It wasn't the Wrestling All-Stars one. I want to say it was one of the Topps ones, but it was. there's two different versions of it. One has like a yellow background, and one has a blue background or something like that. But one of them is more rare, and it was like 3500
2: bucks, dude, for a 10. Yeah, it's insane. Bro, there's a fucking trivia card from a game the WWF had in... 96 or 97 and the rock trivia card out of it a lot of people consider that his rookie card and a gem mint 10 of it is worth a ridiculous amount and it's not even a fucking card you know what i mean like it's from a trivia game like i guess technically it's a card but it is definitely not a sports card but maybe that's what makes it collectible is it wasn't meant to be collectible
1: yeah i remember i used to get the little reflector cards off the bottom of slurpee cups from 7-eleven that would have baseball guys on them i fucking i thought i was gonna get rich off of those dude they had like 40 different ones and you had
2: like 36 of them i was fucking pissed because they went away cards from denny's you had to buy the grand slam to get the hologram cards I had a Howard Johnson grand oh, slam. Fucking funny. Oh, Joe. Fuck yeah. Dude, he was a good ball player for a while, man. He
1: was a cub killer, dude. I fucking hated him. Had a couple you, 30s, 30
2: seasons. He's one of the people I think of when I think of the 80s, early 90s Mets. He was one of their stars, man. Like, Daryl Strawberry and him is who I think of when I think, and Doc Gooden is. Who I think of when I think of the fucking '80s and early '90s Mets? Gary Carter. Gary Carter, yeah. But Gary Carter was kind of a journeyman. He spent some time with Minnesota,
1: Montreal. He came up with Montreal, and then got traded to the Mets, or went there as a free agent, one or the other. And then after he left the Mets, that was when he kind of started. He went to the Angels, the fucking Dodgers, right? toronto i mean he bounced around a bunch after that but i think he ended up with the marlins at the end with andre dawson because i think i remember there was a card with him and andre dawson it was like reunited <laughs> something like that because they came up together in montreal and jeff conine <laughs>
0: yeah
1: mr marlin right yeah that's another dude man i had a fucking billion jeff conine rated rookies and scored fucking rookies and and he was a good, solid ball player,
2: man. But you know, just never became that superstar like we all thought he was gonna. Because the Marlins were my team before the Rays. You know, when yeah,
1: he came up with the Royals, I think, but they lost him in the expansion draft. Maybe I can't remember.
2: Yeah, that's exactly what
1: happened. Yeah, he was actually a pretty good prospect and everything. But like I said, solid career, kind of like a Todd Zeal kind of dude. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. A lot of big, decent, solid seasons, good fucking dude to have in your lineup when you got a bunch of stars around that guy, you know?
2: Right. Make an all-star team or two, but not every year.
1: uh, Just a dude from Toronto back then, Kelly Gruber. Oh, yeah, Gruber. Yeah, he was a solid, like, 20 homer, 80 RBI guy. Nothing spectacular, but when you got Joe Carter and fucking Roberto Alomar, (laughs) fucking had a pretty good team around him, so, you know, 20 and 80 is a
2: good, solid dude to have in your lineup. Right. It's just funny how many of those guys there were that they were fun to collect. And like, if they were on your team, like you thought they were a superstar.
1: Like when I said, Sean Dunstan earlier, and Brandon was like, Ugh. <laughs> Like, why the fuck would you have his? <laughs> I remember when he you No, know, I on. get it. I get it. He was my favorite, favorite player when I was a kid, dude. I wanted to be fucking Sean Dunstan, dude. I couldn't play shortstop for fuck, dude. I was like, I'm playing shortstop. I got this Dunstan-like cannon right here. I got to get loose, Jack. Yeah, and that's the kiss of death. And Jerome Walton. I collected the fuck out of Jerome Walton, and he went fucking kaput quicker than a
3: hiccup. a lot of guys that had good careers that were overhyped, know his prospects and that made them seem like failures to some people when actually they're pretty successful
1: yeah like ben mcdonald you mentioned earlier he was a big hyped rookie and his cards were everywhere dude those were good gets back in like 90 tops he was with thomas's class in 90 right and he had some arm problems but he Became a good fucking major league pitcher. Nothing spectacular, but he was going to give you innings or could come out of the bullpen for long relief. He was a good journeyman baseball pitcher.
2: I think he was number one overall that year. It's just funny how we remember those guys. And there's even in this day and age, there's a market for those cards still. Because there are people that collect the big flops like your ryan leafs or you know kevin moss or ben mcdonald or todd van popel or any of those guys we named and it's just funny how once their card plummeted from being the hot card, people who had it probably literally just threw it away because they never thought it was going to be worth anything ever again, and now all these years later, who would think that there are knuckleheads out there that literally just collect those overhyped cards, which essentially is creating a market for it, and raising its value, and it's just funny how it circles back around and it's with the whole hobby getting hot again that it's not just the current stuff like there are plenty of card collectors out there that they only collect stuff that's like 95 and earlier look at all
3: these young quarterbacks that have failed recently that were selling for ridiculous amounts of money and now everybody knows you know Zach Wilson ain't shit you know right here's the value of your
2: cards Well, like i said could you imagine being that guy that paid 175 g's for that mac jones
1: (laughs) that's crazy to even think it's how could you put a value of that on any card on any unproven player johnny manziel like big
3: people out of the hobby you know somebody will invest in them they'll be a failure then they get so mad that they never
2: want to touch cards again. It's wild the way, and I mean, that's not exclusive to football. They do it in baseball. They do it in basketball. I know a lot of people lost a shitload of money on John Moran.
3: There was guys that I would collect rookies that I'd gamble on like, I think this guy will be good, and, like, I collected the shit out of Eddie Jones, Mitch Richman. They're, like, good players, but the value of their cards never became
2: significant at any point in time. I'm gambling pretty fucking big on Malik Willis. So far, it Uh,
3: If you get it cheap enough now, all you have to do is wait until he has, like, a huge game, and sell it that fucking day, put it on auction, and then you'll strike (laughs) while the iron's hot. Because you don't know if he's going to have a second good game.
2: I've got a lot of Malik Willis's. It's ridiculous. Like, I definitely got carried away. I've almost completed both rainbows of his mosaic. Yeah, you show me pictures of your rainbows. And. I bought a bunch of his Prism rookies, a bunch of his Optic rookies, like autographs and low number parallels and shit. And dude, when Tannehill went down and they were going back and forth between Willis or Levis, I was like, oh, fuck, here we go, baby, here we go. And Levis got it. <laughs> I'm really praying that he gets a shot and does something. But I mean, the way I'm looking at it, yeah, I've spent a lot of money cumulatively, but like I've never spent more than 200 bucks on any single card of his. And if it was that much, then we're talking. A one of one, or an autographed four of five, like something extremely low number. That if he blows, Jesus Christ, you know what a, a rookie card of Mahomes, two of five, or even Herbert and Burrow. I mean, you're talking five figures minimum. And seriously, probably close to all in, maybe between 75 and 100. No, it's got to be more than that. There's 36 in each fucking rainbow. Probably in the neighborhood of about 150 Malik Willis rookie cards and no base. Like, I'm not talking about base cards, I'm talking about autographs, parallels, whatever and that's what it's turned into now like that's what collecting is turned into is pretty much picking a player and when you can still get his cards cheap and going ham on it and hoping he becomes the man it's not like collecting subsets anymore right not at all like a lot of times people literally only collect one or two players and not like in the way we did like they do it literally in the thought of an investment instead of just for fun in Instead of just because that's your favorite player, you love watching him, so you want to have his cards. It's I like to say that it's the stock market and it's lottery tickets rolled up into one. You're looking at yeah. you know are going to be good in three to five years that are going to be running the league, going to be superstars, or you could hit that card right of the hot guy right here right now that's worth a thousand dollars. You know, what there's I mean? a lot of
3: variables too though because you got to think that okay, when do I sell? You know, you got to the right time and then do you piece it out do you sell it you know all together how do you plan on actually unloading it right all these little factors are gonna play like plus you gotta find the right buyer right and it's gotta be like a perfect storm of timing it's just all about timing
2: No, absolutely. And it's like we were saying before, it's just like same with the stock market. That's all about timing. You know, you want to buy when it's low and sell when it's high and hope you sell before the fucking dip happens. And it's the same thing, like a devastating injury and my Justin Herbert rookie that's worth 2500 right now is going to be worth 200 if I'm lucky. And it's just crazy how that or one bad season. Dude, two years ago, I could have picked up a Tua, beautiful autographed rookie cards, dirt cheap for what they were going for. And now they've gone right back up. Like, honestly, when this news broke about Wander Franco, I contemplated starting buying his shit up on the off chance he beat it and came back.
3: A lot of people look at that, like, that would be frowned upon quite a bit. Like, that could get you a bad reputation if you're a known seller. What do you mean? I mean, just like, a lot of people are just throwing his cards away. They want to have nothing to do with somebody that's got that stigma.
1: Right, right. I'm going to say, is there like a market for dudes like Ray Carruth rookies or fucking, like you said, Aaron Hernandez, like people want his stuff.
2: Oh, Jay, you know, the guys who've done like fucking whack shit. People buy the fuck out of Henry Ruggs, the third shit. And he wasn't even a star. You know what I mean? Notoriety more than anything else.
3: Any hobby or group that attracts
2: enough people is going to get a share of weirdos. Yeah, absolutely. If you were collecting like that, like you'd have to have an OJ card, you'd have to have a Hernandez card, you'd have to have Henry Ruggs, you'd have to have like a Ray Rice, and it's just it's weird, man. It's weird some of the things that people collect.
3: Where does it stop? Are you going to get all the domestic abusers and right? Like, I don't know. People get into that
2: shit, I guess. It's like the morbid or you know what I'm saying, like that factor and it's weird.
1: Yeah, to take it to that extent, it's creepy. We got a bunch of good stuff here, dudes. We got a bunch of the old school, we got some new school stuff in between. Stuff about buying, selling, trading, rapid packs, trading. Sound like the freight train. Eugene, you the old school, but I'm the new school. <laughs> I to put that belt around my belly. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good topic to explore. There's a lot to,
2: left on the bone too, so maybe we yeah. can revisit this one later too. Yeah, I'd be up for a uh, round two.
1: That'll wrap this
2: thing up. Coming up on April 20th, we're going to be at the Rosen Center in beautiful Orlando, Florida. I'm going to be bringing in Stan the Lariat Hansen stan will be available at the convention for autographs and pictures and we got ron simmons coming in we got the one-man gang we got matt riddle and mad maxine missy hyatt and al perez and a few other of the brian years Jack victory yeah, Jack Victory. It's going to be pretty good show. It'll be interesting to see how this venue stacks up to what we're used to because it is going to be a bit different. This is a nice place. I mean, what did Barry say on the Breaking Cafe podcast? There's like seven restaurants on the premises of this hotel. So, I mean, I think it's going to be a little bit different of an atmosphere, but you know how we are. We're going to make it fun anywhere we go. We'll find an area... To claim. (laughs) We're April 20th. Tickets available at eventbrite.com. Right on. And where can people find you for your action figures and whatnot? Just search Ben James on Facebook and look for a guy with a big ass joint in his mouth. (laughs) Bam. We're going to tell you about a few of our friends that help us out, and we like
1: to help them out. Yeah, definitely want everybody to check out our friend Shoreline Gems on Facebook. Now is the perfect opportunity for everybody to check them out and support them. Check out their unique, one-of-a-kind, handmade beach glass jewelry pieces. Definitely want to support them, so go check them out at Shoreline Gems on Facebook. And we also would like you to check out our friends on the What's the Vibe podcast with Katie and Amy. We want you to check them out wherever you podcast and on YouTube especially. Their show is great. Very funny, very engaging. They're awesome girls and they have an amazing show. So definitely check them out wherever you podcast and on YouTube. And we also would like for you to check out our buddy Stephen Rafel's daughter Taylor and her band Luna Worldcast at LunarWorldcast.com. Courtesy of Megafauna Records. Definitely check them out. Become a member of their Patreon and you can live stream all of their gigs and you also get 15 percent off of their merch when you're a patron so definitely support our friend taylor and her band lunar worldcast at lunarworldcast.com courtesy of megafauna records we'd also like you to check out our buddy jason d'agostino and his buddy dave at not another sports podcast wherever you podcast and on youtube Support our buddy Dags and Dave and check out their merch too at the T Public Storefronts. So get out there, support our buddy Dags. I want to give shout outs to our brothers and cause chaos. Stephen Burho, everybody's big brother and our little brother down in Florida, Florida man himself. Little brother to big brother, I guess. Shard, Shard Johnson. Keep getting better, you guys. We love you, man. Get back on the road again and we love you guys. Love you guys we have a store it's an exciting store Tea public it has all kinds of designs that are amazing hilarious and also very innovative we have tote bags we have stickers we have hoodies we have magnets we have snow globes where you can put your loved one's face inside all right one of those things isn't true but i wish we could someday when the store gets bigger but the t public store is the other ship, all you have to do is put the other ship in and it'll pop up. Um, I might give you a little warning sign like, are you sure you want to look at these designs? They're disturbing. Not really. For the most part, we're rocking and rolling. A lot of cool stuff. My point being is, it's a fun store, it's a
3: good time. And please, if you guys want to support us, you know, maybe you don't have a lot of money for the store right now, and that's okay. But please, anywhere you listen to us on any platform,
0: please like, rate, and especially subscribe. All right, to follow up on what Bill said rate subscribe all that stuff's awesome even if you don't listen to us on spotify if you could go to spotify and follow us on spotify once we reach a certain level of followers there then we can start generating some ad revenue through spotify but we have to hit a certain number of followers so if you don't have money to buy anything from the store and again we make very little from t public they give us a a fraction of a piece of the sales price and since there's always a sale our cuts always reduced. <laughs> because they only pay us a decent amount for regular priced items but the biggest thing you could do for us is go over to spotify and follow us there so that we can get to that benchmark number and start generating some ad revenue we want to sell out but we need your help <laughs> exactly but we also want to remind you to check out our great friends the josephines of the josephines.net get all your tour information buy an album buy a cd what could be better than that? We also want to remind you to check out our good friend, Hot Rod Rodney Swift and his wife over on YouTube at It's Mr. and Mrs. Swift 2017. They're doing a music Re-reaction series right now, sharing some songs that have meaning to them, why they have that meaning. So, check that out. We want to remind you to check out the Wrestlecopia family of podcasts, the Memory Grenade, the Monday Warfare podcast, the newly added Memphis cast done by a guy out of England, I believe, the new Wrestling Stoop with Bob Roop show that's doing good numbers for them, and then the two regional wrestling podcasts with everybody's favorite favorite uncle Jamie doing the 81 Georgia championship show with Ray Russell and the 1986 mid South show that Roman Gomez does with Ray Russell. So check all of those out. We also want you to look into buying tickets to glory days. Grapple con taking place April 20th, 2024 at the Rosen center in Orlando, Florida, Barry Rose and the captain, Nick Massey of captain's corner. Check him out on Facebook are putting on an amazing event. They have a world-class championship wrestling panel discussion taking place, moderated by the great Mark Lawrence, ring announcer from world-class, involving Missy Hyatt, the one-man gang, Brian Adias, Jack Victory, Al Perez, and possibly more names to come. This is going to be an amazing event. You don't want to miss out. You can go to eventbrite.com. Look for Glory Days GrappleCon. Buy your tickets. They have three or four levels of tickets, depending on if you just want to show up and check things out. If you want the full package, where you can get all the autographs, all the pictures, hear the panel discussion, anything that's going on. So check those tickets out, and we hope to see you there. Because I think we will all be there in April. So come and see us, MC Uncle Jamie, MC Benji and Diggy, MC a whole host of Tim Graff that was just on our Great Thanksgiving episode. A whole bunch Dr. of people prefer um, that. Yeah, doctor. Do- the Doctor of Style Philip Khan will be there styling and profiling like no other. Frankie and Jana Frankie and Jana maybe mama Khan will make the trip this time. Just a whole host of great people that if you haven't met them before you'll want to get a chance to meet these folks and hang out with them for a couple of days. So check out Glory Days grapplecon on Facebook. you can check there the actual Glory Days grapplecon group. you can check our group for information. follow the captain Nick Massey because he does all kinds of virtual signings with wrestling talent. Check out the tickets on eventbrite.com and check the Rosen Center for hotel reservations. That's April 20th, 2024. I want to give a shout out to my good friend, Frankie Seacrest. Keep getting better, buddy. Can't wait to see you in April. It's going to be a good time. You just keep healing up and getting better. Same thing for our good friends, Bruce and Cindy Cohen. I know they're going to be there, Bruce. You just keep chugging along on the road to recovery. You're doing an amazing job, and we can't wait to see
1: you guys. All right. And where does all the fun happen besides the show? In our Facebook group, 284 members strong as of this recording. And we're fans of everybody. We enjoy everybody being there. It, it doesn't matter, you know, what your wrestling beliefs are, what your, as long as you're not an asshole, we like you. Just come join us, you know, just be part of the fun, you know, the extension of fun that is the show. And if you like the show, come join us in there and be cool and hang out, recommend us to your friends. You know, we'd love to see 300 before the end of 2023. So let's make that happen. As we always say, thank you for listening.